Welcome back to another edition of the Boat Rush Podcast. This is episode 16016. I'm your host, Travis Stowe, and with me is my co-host, Scott Nelson. How you doing, Scott? Hey, not doing too bad, but right in the middle of turkey season. Yeah, turkey seasons. I well, I wouldn't know how it is at the moment. I uh, haven't had a chance to get out. There's you know there's kids, responsibilities, work, and uh, but I'm glad you've been able to get out there. It's been pretty good. Been out a few times, and it's uh, you know we talked about it a little earlier. It's <laughs> it's a learning. It's a huge learning curve, man. From going from deer to um, to really turkeys in, in in the trees out here. Totally different story. I bet. Well, hopefully I'll get a chance to get out uh, before the season's up. Um, If not, I'm just going to be living vicariously through the blogs and audio and some of the things that you've gotten to do this so far. But uh, crossing my fingers, that doesn't happen only to be visually uh, or vicariously watching. Today is our second part of the two-part series. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to episode 15, we brought on Davy Crockett Ferraro from HuntStrong. If you wouldn't mind, Scott, let our listeners know what that episode was about. He talks a little bit about really preparation in the off season. You, you know, you're dumping a bunch of money into into planning a hunt and to getting out there to do the hunt. If you don't set yourself up for success, you're setting yourself up for failure. And honestly, guys, if you haven't listened to it, you should really go check that one out. It was episode 15. But that brings us to this episode, which is episode 16. And we're bringing back on Anthony Dixon to share with us on how he handles mental and physical fatigue while you're backpacking in the Western states. Again, this is something that you can use no matter where you're hunting because the tactics and the knowledge he's sharing can be applied anywhere. Really, if you think about it, fitness, that's a big part of hunting. Even if you're a, a tree stand hunter, there's fitness is involved some way, shape, or form, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, you know, talking about any guys out west who are hiking in and doing a lot of miles every day to, you know, the guys that are out here down south, they don't have as far of a walk in, but you're talking with typically a lot hotter temperatures, talking about sitting all day. Um, and when you have to pack stuff out, it's never an easy location and you're typically not with the with a hunting party down here a lot of guys are hunting by themselves um be safe doing that you know let people know where you're at uh so in any case any case anything happens people know where you're at but um (laughs) i can say for sure i mean i've multiple times gone hunting and uh, trying to drag a deer out by yourself sometimes isn't easy. It uh, it can it definitely puts a strain on your body. Let's just keep it at that. <laughs> so it takes physical shape to be able to complete a hunt from point A to point B. Um, you've got to be in shape. If you're not, you're asking for trouble. So let's listen to Anthony. Let's listen to what he has to say. Some great experiences, some great advice, and more than likely, he's going to help you realize something or. Um, learn something that's going to help you on your next hunt. Let's not waste any more time. Let's bring them on. Hey, Anthony, welcome back to the Bow Rush Podcast. This right now is, I believe, your third time on the show with us. And I know our audience are definitely loving what you're talking about, but uh, how you been? I'm good, man. I've been um, I've been busy. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, hey, Scott, why don't you get it started? Yeah, man. So, Anthony, you know, a, a big thing out west is spawn stock. And spawn stock covers a wide variety of scenarios. Uh, it's anywhere from, you know, seeing an animal and, and stalking from 100 yards to seeing an animal from the top of a mountain and having to cover a mile of ground very quickly, whether it's uphill or downhill, to get in front of that animal or get to that animal. Uh, you preach it a lot. And that that shot opportunity comes and goes very quickly. And something that a lot of people, I think, miss on, and the reason why they miss is, you know, their body's fatigued, they're mentally fatigued, they're not focused on their breathing, they they get so excited on the stock being successful up to this point that they get a little lax and then botch the shot. Um, what's what's your take on, on those three things, mental fatigue, body fatigue, and breathing? Where, where do those fall in, in the view of making sure that shot can be successful? Well, I think mental fatigue, I guess I would start with, is... Um, that should really be happening to the person after everything is done. Whether you, you miss the target or you hit the target, the mental fatigue should come after. Uh, being that it is happening, the way the hunt is happening is, is and should be pretty rapidly. And I say that meaning if it's four hours or six hours, the fatigue can come at those later hours. It gets into an eight-hour stock, of course, because the intensity level is high. You have to enjoy that. So, 
how does one control that fatigue is very is varies on the individual. Well, if you wouldn't mind, Anthony, would you explain some of the ways that you've seen other people handle those type of situations maybe differently? I would say mental fatigue really comes from being outside of being in the zone. You know, if you're in that 100-yard zone on whatever animal you're trying to kill, you know, handling that, that mental fatigue is, it, it can be difficult. At most, uh, I would have to say, let, let's just say it's spot and stalk because that's what you started with. Mm-hmm. The longer it goes, the more mental fatigue you could have, but it's how you choose to handle that. So I would say you'd have to put yourself in that position as many times as you possibly can, which let's just say, hypothetically, you guys would be coming out here and we're doing an antelope stock and, you know, we're waiting out antelope and it's 1230 in the afternoon and, you know, we've been crawling through a ditch for over 45 minutes. Your abdominal muscles are getting sore. Uh, one guy left water back where we dropped the packs and the other guys got it on him. I would I would say keeping the moment light is always good to a certain extent. Obviously, you don't want to be cracking too many jokes out there and poking too much fun at each other, but I think it's all in how you choose to control that stress. If you're already a stressful person, like I'm a pretty wound up guy. I don't really need coffee in the morning, even though I enjoy drinking <laughs> at least two cups a day in the morning. A lot of people would say to me, oh, how do you do, you know, spot and stop because it takes so much patience and, and they don't feel like I have patience. When it comes down to killing, I've got all the patience in the world. Um, sometimes you may push the issue uh, a little faster than need be, but also sometimes you'll sit on the outside for too long. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really up to the individual. I would say if, if I was hunting or, or just in general talking to your 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 listeners here, I would say when you're on a spot and stalk and you're getting into the three and four hour stage, keep it light. You know, one guy's always on the target looking in glass. You're never leaving that target. The other guy can be messing around trying to find a piece of shade or a bush to get underneath or, or you know, having a bar or something to eat. I mean, you're always fidgeting around. That's just the nature of the business. Um, but you've got to keep it light. You can't get too intense with the situation and you always got to be bouncing off the situation the variables within it that's how i control my stress level is always thinking about those variables it keeps me in the hunt and it keeps me thinking of what if this happens or how this is happening now you know can we cut five more yards it looks like there's a bush that's got some better shade that's seven yards away does that expose us Um, those are things that i focused on. So you're saying basically the scenarios, you play those different ways in your head to keep your mind focused on the, the end goal instead of just wondering what's going on. Yeah, there is no wondering of what's going on. It's, that's that's very good, uh, Travis, that you put it like that, because you need to be thinking about those variables, and that's how I hunt. Um, and it doesn't matter. I mean, if I've, I always keep uh, pen and paper on me and and I'm drawing a scenario because the partner that I'm usually with, if I'm filming, which is most of the time, I'm always bouncing information off of that individual. And paper can and does clarify your thought process with the individual. A lot of times what you see is different than what I see in the field. And so to be able to write down that scenario, draw it out, this bush, that bush, can we make it to this one? The sun is at this right now, but then in a half an hour, it's going to open up some shade lines to us, and we're going to be able to get to those other bushes that are, you know, 12 yards off our right and 25 yards to the north. And that's going to give us, uh, you know, more of an opportunity, but still staying out at that, you know, 100-yard mark where, that target is able to get up, scan the area, we stay hidden, but still is leaving you more opportunity because you're farther away. You have less opportunity the closer you are to the animal. Okay. So, you know, this whole this whole conversation, everything you said so far, really kind of reaffirms the conversation that uh, me and you had last year, which is one of my favorite conversations me and you had. You know, we were sitting down in your basement and, you know, spawn stock, something that you know, to the extent that, that you guys do out of West, I've really never had the opportunity. So I asked you to, Hey, you know, show me what you mean by your spawn stock, you know, give me some scenarios. And you took out a piece of paper 
and you drew up a, a, a landscape of, you know, a couple valleys, uh, a high ridge and a field and walked me through you and your hunting partner's thought process on a specific hunt you did. Yeah, it really mm-hmm. shows that there's so much that goes into it and, and you really approach your spawn stocks and uh, mission like. And so I guess with the mind fatigue, check out a little bit and take in all of the excitement and the questions and all the variables that happen during that stock. And maybe that's when the mental fatigue comes in. When you start thinking about to the mistakes you could have made or some of the mistakes you did make, that's when you kind of become mentally drained. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's when the flood of emotion comes over, whether you're um, mad. Um, I'm generally mad when I, when I miss or the situation doesn't work out. Um, I think mainly because I've got a lot, a lot on the line, but I also think that having pressure that you need to get this done is, is good. It's all how you handle that pressure. There's times when I've lost my temper out there and I'm, I'm swearing, uh, a hundred times over, (laughs) especially if I am the one that made the mistake. If my cameraman made the mistake, I'm generally, uh, just as upset. I, I don't accept, you know, sometimes when some certain mistakes are made, they're, and they didn't have to be made, and then there's a lot on the line, it's uh, very, very frustrating. Having something on the line, like most guys when they go hunting, say you guys were coming out west to go hunting, you only have five or six days to do it. Mm-hmm. And you're oh, yeah. having fun regardless because you don't normally do it. So when you walk away from a blown stock, you think, oh, it's cool, we'll get another one. Well, there's a lot of times where you don't get another one. <laughs> so that's where the frustration for me comes in where I'm like, I don't accept that. I don't want to accept that, and I can't. My percentage yeah. rates a long time ago, um, there was a time when I wouldn't, and I remember Chuck Adams, I read about it, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm one for 10 on spot and stocks. There was one time, it was a few years back, um, I was one in three. Wow. And, Caref- and, careful planning. Yeah. Yeah, and then I was getting really good. I was at a high point, and, and I had many opportunities, and my head was right. My head was right with my my wife and my kids and and work, and it allowed me to to keep a, a, a much better mental game train, train of thought. Mm-hmm. Would you say you do a lot of mental preparation before you go onto a stock? I have one thing in mind, and that is, is just killing. And I don't care if people want to call it harvesting and all their silly terms. I'm there to kill. I've been brought in into places sometimes, and they're like, you you were brought here to kill. i like, I understand my job to a, to an outfitter. In this particular outfit, it was, you know, he uh, I had shot an animal at 71 yards. Uh, it, was a, it was about 153-inch eight-point, which is a very good white, white tail for an eight-point. Oh, yeah. Can. <laughs> and this outfitter, you know, the, the deer did the mule kick, and I looked back at the film, and it was exactly the way the arrow was supposed to. We never found the animal, and the outfitter was like, oh, you know, are you done? And I said, what do you mean am I done? He's like, well, are you done hunting because you drew blood. And, you know, you normally, you know, at this outfitting place, we sign contracts, you draw blood, then you're done. I said, well, I didn't sign any contract. And as far as I know, you brought me in here to kill animals so you can get some photos. And he said, yeah, that's right. And I said, well, then I guess I'm not done. And then I said, well, are you judging me? He goes, you're damn right I'm judging you. I judge, people are judged every day, quote, from this guy. And I said, interesting. So I went back to camp and I talked to the guy that I was hunting with and told him what had happened and everything. And then uh, I talked to the uh, one of the other guides and uh, got things worked out. And uh, I went killing again. Um, mental preparation comes all from your preparation before you even get there. Um, if you're not shooting enough, then that's your fault. You're going to tell me that, you know, worked out in the way of you practicing. Eh, I'm not believing that you didn't make a priority out of it. So therefore, you know, something's got to give when you're putting money out to go on a guided hunt, or even if you're not, if you're going self-guided, you still have to give up. Maybe it's that night going out to the bar. Maybe it's going to CrossFit, you know, that night that you should go work out if you haven't been there. And, well, if you haven't been there in three days, but yet you're leaving on a hunt in a week and you go to shoot your bow, well, you're mm-hmm. already in good enough shape if you're doing CrossFit. Oh, yeah. So why are you not – you should be lopsided on your shooting at that point. And a lot of people make that mistake. So preparation happens all before. My preparation when I get into the field, the number one thing that I 
that I, I really watch for is I don't like taking untested gear into the field. If I haven't tested it when I'm out shooting um, on 3D and, and in the mountains, um, I've had some gear sometimes fall, fail on me, and um, I'm the only one to blame on that. So, so you're saying that one of the things that you do to help mentally prepare you is that you'll test out the gear that you're going to take on that hunt this way that you'll ensure what you're using works and so that's just basically one less thing you have to worry about before you take that shot yep awesome now you know thinking about when it comes into the breathing scott was saying a little bit earlier do you do any type of breathing techniques beforehand to get your you're pushing a lot of air through your body and you're having instead of hyperventilating are you doing things before the spot and stock weeks on end the day before while you're on the stock to keep your body regulated i would like to say there's some magic recipe for it i mean when i shoot i try to pay attention to my breathing when i'm in practice obviously when it's all going down you're hoping that your subconscious and what you've trained your body to breathe for and how to breathe during the shot hopefully that's Work. I've had some interesting, interesting times at that. Sometimes I've heard where it sounds in my ears, where it's just air or the snow on the TV when it's all. I've had that happen to me when it when you you leave what you're hearing is telling you during the shot, and you're so focused in on what you're about to do that you don't hear anything else. I've had that happen. I had last year. I shot. Just before this elk, this elk had hung up at around 35 yards. He wasn't, he wasn't coming right out to, to expose himself. And I really started to fall apart. I started shaking because that's when the animal is approaching you. That's when intensity really ramps up. If I take one inch of a step towards him, I usually stop shaking because I'm on the defensive position. Or offensive. I guess offensive. You, could, you, could, you could say it either way. You could be on the offense on that, or you could be <laughs> because if you're on the offense, then the, the ball is in your court and you're going to kill him. Maybe that's how I feel. Is is once I take that, once I'm always approaching the animal, then I think the ball is in my court. As that's soon when, as I stop, and it, the role reversal becomes me being the person that is being approached, then I guess I'm on my defense. Then I start, my mental game switches to don't move. Is everything set? Is my bow in the ready position? When they draw a bow, their bow is down along their side, and they're going to do this big, huge sweeping motion with their bow. But really, if you are standing there and an animal is at 35 yards in front of you, the bow is your elbow. My left hand that I hold my bow with is my elbow is in my stomach, and my release is right in front of my nose, six inches down and centered. My feet are positioned at 2 o'clock, the animal is at 12 o'clock, and all I have to do is draw the bow. Mm -hmm. I can still adjust my sight from this position, but that movement is hidden in front of my body. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because you're right at that spot, and one of the things I was wondering is, you know, some people are breathing in to hold the breath, or there's some people that are uh, exhaling at a slow uh, pace to help try to slow their body down before they take that shot. I mean, is there a specific thing that you do that you feel that because you just got done running, you're definitely in that position. You're either about to charge innocence taking the shot. Um, you're you're exerting a lot of energy already. So are you calming yourself down by breathing out? Or are you breathing in and holding? Um, what is it that you're doing? I'm trying to breathe. You're trying to breathe. What is that? <laughs> okay. It, it's this whole thing of, because if you're holding, then you're increasing the intensity level. Mm -hmm. If you're not getting any air, you're in big trouble. That means you've totally <laughs> lost Locked up. control. So to stay breathing at a rate of, of calm, which obviously your heart rate is high, but you're breathing you're probably at a standstill. 99% of all shots are probably shot at a standstill. I don't know if anyone's ever walking and gets a shot off. They may take a step and then draw the bow or weapon and then shoot. But my my best results are when I'm breathing. I'll take, you know, I'll, I'll breathe in, I'll exhale half, and then I'll hold. And that's when the heart rate um you know, sometimes you can hear your heart beating at that particular moment. You can actually pick the heart rate up 
which you guys have probably heard on TV before, you can actually, when you you have a wireless mic system on mm-hmm. and it's at your throat area, you can hear the person's heartbeat going. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think you really, I guess some guys, if you're in that scenario, you know, three times a week, you can probably control your heart rate better than I do for sure. Um, I wouldn't deny that. And there's definitely people out there that do enough killing that can, that can control that. I, uh, like I said, I try to breathe and then I'll exhale half a breath. And then that's when I want to get that shot off. But that timing is difficult. I think it's great to practice it. Can, can I do that in the field when the animal is approaching me? No. If I'm approaching the animal and he just gets up out of his bed and he's doing his deal and he scans the area and looks over to his right and I'm already at full draw and I can kind of just pull through that shot without him knowing, I usually get a much better shot. Mm-hmm. If he knows I'm there and he's looking at me, then that means I've given up my position. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I never, ever like to do. Because the element of surprise is then gone. Now you've got an animal that's wired, fixated on you. Hopefully you're camouflaged up well and you're using good camouflage and you're able to get away with, obviously there's going to be some movement, whether you've got to draw the bow. Hopefully you don't have the bow down on your side. and You're making some, you know, outlining movement, meaning the bow is on the outside of the, the outline of your body. I think the outline of the body is very critical, and I think animals really key in on it, and they realize it as danger. Hmm. So, I mean, we've covered a couple, you know, obviously breathing and mental fatigue. You know, I, I kind of think the third big thing in this is physical fatigue. Obviously, there's a big push towards training the off-season. When you're in a hunt, you know, you're in your five- or ten-day hunt, how can you really battle that that body fatigue, especially as you get into day six, day seven of covering, you know, five, 10, 20 miles you know, throughout the days? How do you really control your, your body fatigue? How can you get back to camp and kind of get your muscles back into that, into the, into the game by keeping them not fatigued? Well, I guess the first thing that I, I do and I haven't started yet and it's going to happen here in the next couple of weeks is running. That is going to be probably the biggest aspect of what we do out here west. Even if I was back in the Midwest, of course, and East Coast, probably not so much. Mm -hmm. But as far as the running goes, to be able to lower your heart rate quickly, doing sports that are anaerobic is best. So hockey for me is what I do uh, play a couple times a week, and that always keeps a really good... uh, it's a good balance for me on top of running. As far as like bulking up and building muscle, I don't, I don't suggest it. I, I think when you start to, when you're lifting weights and then you're trying to shoot those three days a week and you're on a full program, uh, the days off of lifting, you'll shoot pretty well, but the days that you shoot a bow and you're lifting are not good. So basically, you're pretty much, you're wanting more to not necessarily bulk, but lean down, not become anorexic, but you're wanting to lean down and shred some of that weight to, to help with, especially when you're running. Yeah, we just did a uh, an episode with Davey Crockett, um, and he was saying the exact same thing. He's not really all into the idea of building mass muscle. Preparing yourself for a hunt is to start leaning down, uh, and you don't want the extra body weight, and plus of that, you want to be more flexible. Yeah, I mean, if you're strong, that's one thing. No, I have a, I'm at 180 pounds and I usually around, around 14% body fat. Right now I could be at 16 or 17 and got some love handles on the back. <laughs> I've got but really, if you have some type of upper body strength to be able, like I have an 80 pound bow and it's very easy to draw. It's an elite energy 32, excuse me, energy 35. And it's very easy to draw. And that's why I have 80 pounds on it. I think for the individual that can't draw, 70 pounds very well and has to lose his form, then that person needs to bulk up. Mm-hmm. If you can keep very solid form, and here's a test. If you can lay on your, sit on your butt with your legs out in front of you and the target is at 12 o'clock and your abdominal area is facing two and you can draw the bow cleanly, then I would say you don't need to lift weight. But if you can't do that shot, then in the gym you should you should go to the gym a little bit and put on now i'm not saying put on like 10 pounds i'm saying you want to work those muscles in the back and in the shoulders where they can handle that 
that draw. Wow, that's a really good tip. Because you're not trying to, you're trying to increase your speed by bulking up. And I've seen some guys, most guys that go to the gym and work isolated muscle groups are all show no go. Most because they don't because they don't work the lower body. So the lower body, if and if they are really like if they're a bodybuilder, you work the lower body and the upper body, mm-hmm. and you do you trade off of days. Some days it's shoulders, the next day it's abs, next day it's quads, then it's calves, and 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 or whatever your method of madness is there. But most guys do not balance out. They mm-hmm. go for upper body strength because it looks good and they feel good, and, and that's a very important part of killing. But if you're not well-rounded, then you just miss the boat. So my thing is is know how to draw the bow correctly, and, and if you do that and you have the muscle group to do that, then you're good to go. So let's cross that out of the way. That's done. So now it's can I run and drop my heart rate very quickly to get a shot off after I just ran 600 yards with full gear on? which I usually run somewhere between 12 and 24 pounds a kilo. That's packing. So, yeah, that is. <laughs> and you're also talking about elevation, too. It's not just you're running flat. You're on a, a different terrain, a up and down elevation. Right. So when you go to an elevation change, you have to adapt. So now it's water. It's water all the way around. If you're not hydrated, then your muscles and lactic acid is going to build up no matter how old or how young you are. Mm-hmm. So you got to handle lactic acid buildup. A little bit of protein, a little bit of carb, that is something, you know, at that meal time and, and some type of vegetable, which a lot of hunters don't really eat that well. They're like, I don't want to eat vegetables. The hell am I going to do that for? I don't know. I want to I be able to complete this hunt successfully. I don't know. Well, so talk a little bit about that because, you know, those lo- those hunts out there can be very long hunts. Again, you know, anywhere from two days to 10 days and it's, it's grueling and it's a battle and you're battling body fatigue every night when you get back to camp. So recovery wise, what do you do to help yourself be back in peak shape the next morning when you get up to make that two mile hike to get up to a, to a spotting hill? What, what are some of your things you do to recover that night when you get back to camp? I eat and I eat like I'll, I'll do stuff. Um, like I'll do, uh, you know, I'll do some soft tacos um, I'll get the beans going. I'll get some protein out of the beans. I'll do some lettuce. If we have some type of, let's just say for hypothetical reasons, we have a base camp. So I can do some lettuce. I can do tomatoes because they hold well in the cooler. I can do the can of beans to get the protein. I'll eat four or five of them. I don't have like a limit when I'm out in the, in the field and I'm, and I need power. I eat all the time. And then I'll pack nuts for protein in my backpack. And um, I'll do the string cheese, too. It's an easy packet. It's got some protein in it. Um, I don't like the fact that, you know, cheese is a binder as far as going to the bathroom. So that <laughs> usually... <laughs> so you limit that yourself on the cheese. becomes an issue because we're usually cutting ourselves short on water. So um, there's something that I've done. Last year I started drinking out of... Uh, these like cranberry juice jugs and I'm able to, when I take a swig off of a glass, I'll drink like a half a glass. But for some reason, mentally, if I drink four glasses of water, I think that is efficient. If I pull off of my big jug that I have that I just buy a cranberry juice jug, it's got a built-in white candle on it. I don't know who makes it, but it's killer. I'll drink three glasses with one pull. So when you really think about water consumption and getting that water back into the muscle groups. That's huge. If I eat that, uh, that Spanish meal that we're talking about, I'll even have a beer. It, it kind of relaxes me a little bit, gets me to calm down a little bit. So I'll have, you know, I'll be running a Corona with a lime. And that's what I did on that elk hunt. Even though we were pounding out vertical, um, you know, it's, it's getting, it's getting the body replenished and, and, and that's how I do it. Awesome. So, with a couple different things, I, I've talked to a lot of people, and there kind of seems to be two mindsets to a spawn stock. Uh, you know, obviously, you all, you all start out glassing, trying to find an animal. You finally find it, and sometimes they're on the move, and you have to judge the terrain. You know, what canyon are they going into? What what hill are they walking up? 
and you've got to try and figure out where they're going to be and get in front of them. And the two mindsets that came seem to be kind of the most consistent is, you know, knowing where you have to get and pacing yourself to, to get there at the right time with enough time to set up for a shot. The other mindset is I know where I have to be. I need to get there as quick as I can. And with a, with a lot of time to be able to reassess where the animal's coming from and get my breathing and my mental and my physical fatigue knocked out of the way. Which one do you typically use, or is it a kind of case-by-case scenario when you approach a stock? Case-by-case, I would say, from what you're telling me, sometimes you have the option to cut the animal off. Are you in physically, do you have the physical ability to do that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I'm not certain if I don't. That's a waste of my time, and then we're going to ruin that particular animal. Is he going to come back the next day? I don't know. I, let's just play it safe and say, no, he's not. So can you cut him off? That's one, that's one scenario. The second scenario is, is when you put him to bed and it's 745 and he goes to bed at 9, do you still have a location on him? I know a lot of people that make this mistake. So the three of us are glassing. We're at 10,000 feet. We're approximately a mile and a half away. Our targets are on a south-facing aspect. There's three targets. The one we want, of course, is the farthest away from our approach. So we're going to run into the two smaller deer first. And we can see the two small deer, but we can't see the big, and they just lay down. So if you rewind this scenario and say, okay, if all three of us are sitting there, Scott, why didn't you get up when we could see all three of them and move location at a rapid pace until you can at least get a side view of that particular mountain? And that means you got to go up 1,500 vertical feet to look into the side of that mountain. So you'd roll to the west and you're looking back to the east to cut through those pines where he's bedded. Most guys would just sit right there, all three of them, and sit there and watch him go lay down and go, well, we can't see him. Now what did you do? So you lost visual of your target. Why? Because you're not thinking. So you got to get off your ass, and you got a motor. So now it's Travis and I. So we've got two guys that are watching him go in, which is good, because one guy's got to go to the bathroom at some point. So that guy's going to take over the scope immediately. There's always one set of eyes on them. The other guy becomes a communication piece. Okay, I've got the larger target. If you were to be able to head up on the west side of this mountain, you find 1,500 vertical feet in the last hour, and you just watched the big deer lay down, now all of a sudden it's game on now. We're not out of the game. We're in the game. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the biggest issue I've found with people is not staying mobile they they don't they don't think that kind of brings up a point i don't mean to interrupt but when you said they don't stay mobile if you're spotting stocking usually people are sitting down for a long period of time now if you were already in the move and you've positioned yourself into a new location you're hot and sweaty you're fatigued uh when you sit down for a long period of time is there things that you do to keep your you know muscles from tightening up you know after a while try to get up after 15 20 minutes of rest you're tense yeah, you gotta still, you gotta keep on drinking that water that's in that pack, you know. And and even then, you're still gonna be stiff. And that's just the thing that you're like, you know what? Man up. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it up. I mean, get really, on the move. Think about this. I mean, we're on this hunt. We have a 175 inch mule deer, and you're really gonna sit here and tell me that your muscles are tight? If there's two of us that are sitting there, we just pulled, you know, 2,700 vertical feet. Travis, when I'm in that glass, you should be stretching. Or you should be behind me, out of sight, doing jumping jacks and warming those muscles up and then starting to stretch them and loosen. You don't want to loosen your tendons. You want to loosen your muscles. Let's be very clear on that. If you're stretching your tendons, then you're doing something that is I would not do. I'll stretch my muscles, but I don't want to stretch my tendons. I want my tendons tight. I want them to be able to make the recovery that, that I have slipped and I'm in the process of making a recovery with my muscles, and I want my tendons to react. So, you know, Scott, he's screwed. He's just <laughs> 1,500 vertical feet. He's locked down on that big buck. He's got his spotting scope out. He let us know, uh, either by cell phone or radio or signal to us, that he's got the buck, and it's bedded, and we're good to go. Whatever's legal in your area that you are able to use as far as communications goes or comps. So... Scott's got to sit there and, and stay in the scope and stretch and, and not get stiff. But mm-hmm. the, the fact is, is you're going to get stiff. You're going to 
there's no recipe here that takes care of everything. And that's why I hate to use that term man up because it's, it's so macho and it's, it's just a bunch of crap. But in all honesty, do you really care? What's you more guys important? just flew out west to go hunt these deer. And we have one that is in a good situation. We have him bedded. Now it's time to scan, see if there's any other people around and start tearing apart the rest of the mountain on our approaches that we were evaluating for variables to see which way we're going to go after this particular target. So, you know, I've done this for long enough now that I don't even, I don't even know how, I know how I do it because I've done it for long enough. And I know that kind of sounds kind of cliche, but I'm not, I'm not hearing it the way you guys are. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Well, so considering you've glassed an animal, you've figured out a game plan You've made the stock. You're at that point of the shot opportunity is about to present itself. What are the important things to you for that shot for that shot option? What are you thinking about? What are you not thinking about to make that to end that that stock successfully by arrowing, arrowing the animal? Well, let's just turn it around. Let's say that Travis and I are the ones that are spotting, and you're the one that went all the way around. Now, so you did your 1500 vertical feet. Now you're going to go a mile to the east, drop down 750 yards, and you're going to come in on this animal back to the west. So you basically made the letter C turned upside down. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? You tell me. You're at 85 yards right now. You're sitting there. What are you going to do to kill this animal? And so that was 715, and we put him to bed at 9. So 9, 10, it's 1130 right now, and you're mm-hmm. in position at 85 yards. Mm-hmm. And you're at, you're you're in between nine and ten thousand feet. What do you think? What do you what would you do? And then I'll Wait. tell you what I'll tell you what you made mistakes on. Absolutely, I think it's a that's a that's a great drill. Um, obviously, you know I want to pull in you know all the variables that are standing between me and and the buck or the doe, whatever it is, whatever the game is I'm going after. But I want to figure yep. out how what level of alert the deer's at at that point in time, or the elk. You know, where where's their focus drawn at? Is their focus drawn towards you know the opposite gender animal that's laying down next to them, or you know are they up alert looking around? I want to figure out kind of he's, what my he's laying, he's laying down. We're mm-hmm. hunting bucks, uh-huh. and he's got two bucks that I remember they were in front of him or to the west of him. So he's mm-hmm. to the east. And he's got two other bucks that are, let's just say, 20 and 40, 20 and 35 yards to the west of him. So they're farther away from you. How so far is you it? to the east, and he's 85 yards to the west of you, and the other two bucks are further to the west of him. You know, I, I think ideally I'd want to figure out the, the best place for me to take a shot from and be successful um, while the animal is, when the animal stands up. Um, so I'd assess that and see if that's a good game plan, if it's going to put me in visual sight of the other two deer or the main buck that, that I'm going after. Um, I'd ideally like to approach them from, you know, with the, with the wind in my face, if that's, an, if that's the best option to shoot from. Make a game plan on where I want to take a shot from and, and start working my way there with, you know, obviously probably my eyes primarily on the, on the deer that are closest to me. Um, as long as I can keep something else in between me and the buck that's bedded. Uh, if I can get to that point, then it's just a, a matter of waiting the deer out to see if, you know, if I can get to a point where I'm 35 yards from him, um, I may be able to throw a rock and get him to stand up. You know, if not, it's just wait him out, wait him out and be ready for a shot when, when he eventually stands up, whether it's five minutes or three, four hours from when I get to my final spot I want to shoot from. Okay, so here's the scenario. Mm-hmm. So you're at 85 yards away, and you needed to ask Travis and I which way the deer is facing currently. Mm-hmm. Because if you know which way he's facing, and you know the other two bucks are further away from you at the same elevation as our target, that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, is we're out west, and you're in a big open bowl, and there's, there's no rocks, there's... and there is nothing between you and him. And you're, you're at 85 yards. You're bear crawling. <laughs> Belly crawl all the way. You're done. Because the ground at that time of year in, in August is going to be a little bit crunchy. 
Mm-hmm. And in any of those bowls, it's still going to be loud. And, the, and remember, sound travels different in a bowl. Absolutely. And the wind is pushing, you know, if you're facing the deer, so you're facing west, and you're at the same elevation as the deer, and the wind is coming at your right ear and going down the mountain, down the mountain is to your left, you have to shoot him or be ready to shoot him when he stands up at 85 yards. Mm-hmm. And when he first stands up, my suggestion would be is not to give up your position. You may be in a ready position looking in his direction with your bow in hand, but you can't move. When he stands up, the first thing a deer is going to do is scan the whole entire area, and he's looking for bad guys. Mm -hmm. If he sees you, he's gone. So you have to wait for him to get comfortable, which usually means three or four minutes. And it's 1130 in the afternoon right now. He's probably not going to get up and adjust his bed until three. And usually it's because he's got to go to the bathroom, my experience. So you're going to kill him at a later time. So my suggestion to you would be is back out and go out to about 125 yards if you can and wait there because the wind will be safer. Mm-hmm. Even being 135, 140 yards away, is more. it's much more safer than being 85 yards away because 85 yards away, you have a great opportunity to kill him. So you already know the trail that you took in and where we had set communications from at 85 yards. So now you've backed out and now you can relax. Remember that mental stress you were talking about? Mm-hmm. We can relieve some of that right now because you're at 150 yards out. And you already know that you went that way once and you already know the sticks and the rocks that you went around and the grass and the one log you just had to, you know, the old log that happened to be laying down out there and, and that was at around 100 yards and you already know how to get around that log without making too much noise at all because you got into 85. So it's reevaluating that situation at the level that you're at right now and if he gets up, so it's 11 o'clock, we've got a couple hours to kill, so I'd probably send you in there at like 2.45. I'd send you back in there for the intense moment of sitting for an hour and waiting. That brings up two points. Sure. Um, all right, one, you know, Scott, one of the, thing you, the things that you did miss was, and I'll take this quote from over the top with uh, Sylvester Stallone, but it's, you forgot to turn your hat backwards. Because, you know, that's when your mental game kicks in. So that was one. <laughs> uh, two, <laughs> when you're going to be doing the long haul at the last part, um, you know, we were talking about drinking water and, and staying hydrated. Now, obviously, you don't want to be overhydrated because you're going to have to pee eventually. So in that type of point, when you're probably engaging those last few hours, are you releasing or, like, are you trying to take a point, like you're at 150 yards back? Are you peeing out so you get some of the water out? Or are you trying to, you know, not drinking a lot of water so you don't or have to feel like you have to go while being in that moment? When she calls, she calls, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been right in like, oh, my gosh, if I don't piss right now, and I know this is going to go down in less than 30 seconds, how are you going to shoot when you're fully loaded and your bladder screaming, release the valve? <laughs> Dude, I just go. I've done it. And I don't care if my buddy's sitting right there and then my piss is going down towards him and, and it's around his knee. And, and I don't care if he's looking at my unit and my junk. I don't care. <laughs> this is it. This is all the marbles. Are you willing to give up? Like, would I piss myself out there? I wouldn't just because the amount of acid that's in the urine and the heat that it creates and the, the rash that you're going to have when you got to hike out not recommended. I've laid down on my side and relieved myself. And of course, laying on your side, of course you pee on yourself. Do I care? No, I don't. I don't care. As long as it's not on my skin around my crotch area where that rash is going to be happening because there's friction and it's just, it's urine. I mean, it's not a big deal. I've been on spot stocks where I've had to, I've had to go number two and Mm -hmm. you've got to run back out to 180 yards and, dig a quick hole and go to the bathroom. I remember two years ago, I was with a good friend of mine, Bill Buckingham, and we were filming for the TV show, Respect the Game. And I had to go so bad, and Bill was like, hey, try this this uh, stuff. It'll relieve you 
you know, and I drank a whole entire glass of it in like five minutes and, and, uh, because I wasn't able to drink enough water. So you're not able to go to the bathroom for two, three days. Well, all of a sudden this stuff hit me. Oh, I'm in a, I'm in a ground blind out in the middle of a farm field that got three inches of winter wheat grass that's sprouting up. Where are you going to go? I had deer coming my way. I was on the backside of that blind with a rock and my gloves on digging a hole as fast as I could possibly dig, (laughs) relieve myself and get back in the blind with 45 deer in the field. Yeah, they were 300 yards away, but still, I mean, when she calls, she calls. There's no recipe for for fixing that problem. No, no. Let's just hope you're smart enough to bring some wipe. Winter, uh, Winter wheat is not fun to wipe with. You know, Anthony, we really do appreciate you coming on, you know, thinking of last shot, words of wisdom. When that person is about to take that shot, what should be going through their mind? Well, I appreciate you having me on. I think you, I think I needed to say that to you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All I can say is if you don't practice enough, then you're not going to be able to handle the situation. It's not what you're thinking about. It's what your subconscious is thinking about. Because your subconscious can level the bow, put the finger on the trigger, pull through the shot with equal pressure, and execute the shot. It's your subconscious mind that gets in the way. If you don't shoot enough, then you shoot with your conscious mind, which means you tell yourself to draw the bow. You tell yourself to level the bubble. You tell yourself to put the pin on the target and hold as hard as you can on that target when really you should be just breathing and you should have a little bit of flow. And when you pull through the shot, regardless if the pin is exactly where it's supposed to be, if you're looking at that spot, the arrow will go there. That's why everyone says, oh, you got to practice, you got to practice. They're not lying. It's old news, but if you don't do it, then you never get to train your subconscious mind. So start shooting. Awesome. Great advice. Then you don't have to think. Well, you know, the only thing I guess, you know, to, to say what are you thinking about, when are you going to kill them? That's the only thing I really think about. So I, 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 you're right. Okay, so what do I think about? I think about, okay, where is he in his gait? Where are his legs? Is he quartering away? Is he quartering two? Am I aiming towards the opposite shoulder on the other side? Am I elevated? Where's the arrow going to come out? That's all I think about. Once I figure all that stuff out, and I already know that that's going to happen and where he is. In your scenario, you're 85 yards away. You're at the same elevation, depending on how he stands up. If he stands up and he's facing to the west, which is away from you, are you going to have a quartering away shot? I mean, sometimes the deer will get up and he'll look down the mountain, which would mean you'd have a broadside shot. You'd hope but, for one. You know, at 345, that means that sun's going down. That means you're on a south-facing slope. You're looking to the west, so that means the sun is not going down, but it's pretty strong. It's still high in the sky. You better hope you don't have anything on yourself or your bow that's got glare to it because if it glares at all and it sends a shimmering light anywhere near that deer, he's gone. So all I think about, where's the the exit of the arrow? And if I already know that it's going to go through the side for these broadsides, then I don't care. I just put the pin on. I've already range found where he was, and I put the pin on, and I squeezed through the shot with all the subconscious mind that takes care of all that. And hopefully the arrow goes where it's supposed to go. I mean, I say hope, meaning you better have done all your homework and you better have practiced. Awesome. Well, with that, I uh, I think we nailed this episode really well. We hit some great points. I'm trying. It sure is fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we would we would love to have you on uh, again and again and again. We always we always enjoy talking with you, Anthony, and appreciate everything that you know you bring to the table with your knowledge base and experience and and uh, personality for sure. Well, thanks guys for having me. I love the show. Keep up the good work, and um, let me know when I can uh, come back on. It's so much fun. Absolutely, bud. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Hey, later, bud. That was awesome. Yeah, no, he's and he's he's a super super good guy. He's down to earth. Uh, I mean, he extremely. really is like legitimately just has a passion for this that you can hear it through his voice. You know, Anthony, uh, he's, he's been on now three times. Um, every time he's been a great guest to have on always has some great insight, whether, you know, we're talking about gear, uh, we're talking about tactics, 
or, or like this time we're talking about how to really uh, get through the mental and physical fatigue of a hunt. Um, we're always thrilled to have him on. So, you know, I'm sure we'll have him on many more times as, as this, uh, the Bow Rush podcast continues. But uh, Travis, what what do you think? You know, what did you take out of what Anthony had talked about? Because I haven't actually had a chance to do the spot and stock hunting out west, which is what he was really focusing on. I know there's a difference between here in the uh, east coast, but then the west coast doing the spot and stock. There's definitely a lot. A, it's a bigger game, and there's still things that we can apply to our hunting tactics that he was sharing. And now that we're in the off season. Uh, I can't wait to prepare myself for the on season when it comes up. Well, yeah, you know, um, it, like you said, you know, there's a lot of stuff about spot and stock that's the exact kind of opposite uh, of tree stand hunting. But something that it, all of it has in common is game planning. You know, setting yourself up for the for the best path to success. Yeah. Well, being that it's fitness related and I love fitness, I believe you're loving fitness just as much. The off season is the perfect time, and I think. We got a good game going on for this season. Yeah, you know, it's really getting out there, practice, practice, practice. Make sure you're shooting as much as possible um, and make sure you're really getting your body into, you know, the right shape for whatever kind of hunting you're doing. Absolutely. And, you know, being that it is fitness related, I mean, getting out in the field, it doesn't matter if you're spot and stalking or if you're sitting in the tree stand. When it comes to being physically fit, it's going to help you one way or another. And so if it's something that you're interested in, I mean, this is the off season, so it's the perfect time. Anthony talked about how to handle your stuff when you're out in the hunt. Take it, apply what he says. But when because we're in the off season, start training. Start training now and get ready for it. And if you've liked our show and you want to get the show notes, I encourage you to go to mybowrush.com forward slash zero one six. On top of that, we do have a new page. It's a page specifically to give you all our social links and it's on our follow us page. And how you get to us go to mybowrush.com forward slash follow us. Again, send us emails or, or leave us some comments about what you want to hear about, what you want to want us to talk about, and what questions you guys have. Uh, that's what we're here for. We're here to bring you guys answers from you know the experts uh, who are out there in the industry. As always, this is Scott Nelson. And I'm Travis Stowe. And this is the Bow Rush Podcast. It's turkey season. <laughs> Oh, <laughs>